preaching to revive. I want to take a few minutes today and and talk about an area that most people never even talk about. I was going to do marriage and ministry, and if you've ever been to our website at mercyseatministries.com, I've got a uh, a thing called 3M Ministry Mentoring Moments, and it kind of birthed out of teachings for our school of ministry. Um, where I do ministry and marriage, I do uh, just everything from preaching to revival to even some sermons, Weeping Lions and Roaring Lambs, which has kind of gone all over America, was actually birthed in the floor at uh, this house uh, at, at their men's conference last year. I was laying in the floor and the Holy Spirit just hit me. And man, that message has gone all over America. I eventually preached it at the ramp and it just took off. In fact, it's about to be on God TV. Uh, I think, no, no, I think... Um, it's for, uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be on God TV from the Ammo Conference of California. And so they're doing a big thing where they re-air that. And so, but I want to take a few minutes today and just kind of get real with you. And I want to talk about preaching the gospel because a lot of people do not talk about that. They don't talk about how to preach or how to write a sermon. And so it's going to be very simple. And for some of you, it's like, gosh, I've already, I know all this already. And why are you sharing on this? Because... One of the things that I think, and I love what Chris Hill said to me, we were sitting at the ammo conference recently. How many of you struggle with writing a sermon? Be honest. I mean, it can just be a battle for you. Just just be honest. It can just be a war. And one thing about it is I would tell you the number one key to writing a sermon is having close friends in your lives that you can bounce things off of. He and I do that. Um, he preached a message called Sigh of the Soul uh, here, and I can tell you it got preached in other places. Because the first person with the heaven was a thief on the cross. So you got to steal everything. And this man. Uh, yes, I steal from Paul Owens because he actually is a brilliant writer. And he comes up with really deep concepts. And I'll go, OK, I'm going to take that and run with it and make it more simple and more pat. And um, and then I don't give credit either. Amen. There ain't no reason for that. Kingdom belongs to the kingdom. And there's no reason to, to there's there's no reason to share I got this idea from Paul because why? Exactly. And <laughs> it means I'll send him an offering. Have I ever? No, I didn't think I had. And uh, um it made me so mad one day when I noticed that Glenn Berto turned all of his his podcast into five minute podcast. In other words, he just gives you a teaser and then wants you to buy the sermon. I told him, I said, you're so greedy. I said, how in the world am I going to get ideas for preaching? And he goes, well, you need to buy it. I said, no, you need to quit, quit, quit being greedy because podcasts are free. And, um, and so I take and steal, but man, I'm going to be honest with you. I spent years intimidated by preaching. Now I love it. I love it. And I think that so many times in ministry, we master everything but the one thing that, that, that brings the growth. I, I said this when I was pastoring and, and, uh, we were sitting around the staff meeting table and all the pastors on my staff, there's six pa or five other pastors sitting there and I looked at him and I said, I love your ministry and your ministry is critical, but your ministry doesn't pay the tithe. And I wasn't being mean. I was letting them know in Sunday morning is the, the big bomb. But, churches are growing all over america when the guy in the pulpit doesn't necessarily bring it because they focused on children and they focused on youth and they focused on buildings and stuff so it, it doesn't necessarily uh, determine whether or not a church is going to grow is by preaching but i don't know about you but i think that but when we get into this thing and we begin to preach the gospel there there comes a transitional mindset that that preaching should be fun it shouldn't own you 
you should be able to sit down and write a sermon in four hours. Between four and six hours. And I mean, just lay it out. For some people, it takes longer. I can tell you that last night, the one I shared uh, took me right at about four hours to write. Now, it's I have to get my mind right. and doesn't mean I haven't already been making notes and looking at things before I get there. But once I sit down and get in my room, begin to write that message. And I think the most intimidating thing in ministry is two things that kill guys and girls when they get in ministry. And it's preaching and it's altar calls. Because most people are scared to death of altar calls. Well, and I always tell them, let me just give you one point for an altar call. Go back to your title when you start it. What? What do you mean? Go back. It's on purpose. Audience of one. I preach Sunday morning here. Tonight, well, Karen will preach a conversation with the king. I'll never forget. Nate was with me in Singapore. And it's about four or five years ago. And he was preaching his first sermon at a big youth conference. And I mean, there's hundreds of students. And he gets through this really cool message. And all of a sudden, he's standing on stage, and he just froze, deer in headlights. And these kids are weeping, hundreds. They're just weeping. And all of a sudden, Nate goes, so I walk up behind him. I put my back to him, and I lean into his ear, and I walked him through his old altar call. And he's preaching the altar call facing the crowd. I'm talking to him. He gets through his altar call. He comes to my hotel room, and he said, that is the hardest. He said, now I understand churches that don't give altar calls. That's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I think that sometimes we've been doing it so long, we forget that that is a hard thing to get to that point. But all you got to do is just go back. You, there should be three calls in every altar call. No matter what, there should be three calls. The first call is always the lost. I don't care if you're preaching to the same hundred kids every week. Altar call for salvation every single week. There's always got to be that moment. And churches that quit doing that start dying. Because you don't know when it's going to stick. There's going to be that one moment where you lay somebody on the altar and the fire hits them and it transforms them forever. And don't discount the student that gets saved every week. It will stick. I've been baptized 478 times. If we had a baptismal service, my dad would say, get in the tank. Got to get you washed off, boy. But there's always three calls in every altar call. Actually, I'm sorry, there's four. The lost, the weary, should always give a moment for the weary. And Larry Stockstill took me, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of him, he's a pastor in Louisiana. I spent three days with him in, in his cabin in Louisiana, and he just poured. He was writing the Remnant book, and it was two other pastors. We sat with him, and he poured his book into us before he ever published the Remnant book. And by the way, if you haven't read Remnant, uh, the book, you need to read it, because it deals heavily with the father wound. And I would say 90% of people going into ministry have a father wound. We go into ministry because we want to be seen, but once we get into ministry, we just want to hide. And the problem is in ministry, so many times we are actually ministering out of our, our own pain. And so many times we build our own theology off our pain. Isn't it amazing? Uh, if you go back to the sermons you wrote when you first went in ministry, you're like, what in the world was that? But you were writing out of your pain. We don't write out of our victories. We write out of our pain. And if you build your theology off your pain, then many times we take Jesus off the cross, but we've never allowed us to remove the nails from him. Are you with me? So we have to show them the victory past the cross. We have to show them the resurrection moment. But so you always uh, give an altar call for the lost. Then you always give an altar call for the weary. Then you always give an altar call for the dry. Those that just haven't felt God in a long time. Because believe it or not, they don't live in the atmosphere we live in. And it is so easy. Now, let me just say this. Every sermon you preach, you should preach as if nobody's saved. That should be your number one rule. Right? You're right. You may want to put it up on the wall somewhere. Am I writing this sermon as if nobody's saved? Your church will explode when you do that. My brother taught me that. He said, Pat, preach every Sunday like no one in the room is a Christian. 
That's why what we might call a seeker church explodes. Because they they figured out that if you'll keep it that simple, that means you don't use all the little religious terms. You tell somebody that they've been sanctified, they think that's coffee. You think you tell, I mean, you, we throw out our little religious terms, initial physical evidence. They're like, what in the world is that? I'll never forget when I rewrote our, our bylaws for our church when I was pastoring. And if those of you don't know it, um, two years ago last May, I resigned my church because the Lord, I was flying back from overseas and the Lord said, okay, it's time. I resigned the Sunday before my son graduated from high school. And I started the church two weeks after he entered the ninth grade year. And I felt like the reason why I started the church because he needed dad at home for four years. The church exploded. It grew phenomenally. We saw great things. Our, our last service there, we had three, uh, our last uh, Easter, two weeks before I resigned, we had, we had to have three services. It was packed. <clears throat> but at the same time, it wasn't my DNA. It wasn't me. I didn't enjoy it because I love seeing what I saw last night. I lived for that last night. How many of you know that, that your last altar call, your, your next altar call begins when your last one ends? I live with that concept in my mind, and I'm going to tell you why. Because when I go to bed at night, and I'm in a hotel room, and the enemy's trying to, to tempt me or something weird. or Sometimes we blame the enemy. It's just our own flesh because we're lazy and haven't been praying or sitting in the Word. And um, I'm amazed. I, I wonder how many times the devil goes, wow, they just blame me for that. That's awesome. I didn't even do it, but I'll take it. And um, But I've, I've learned that if I keep in my mind at all times... That my next altar call begins when my last one ends. In other words, I live in a perpetual state of altar call. Does that make sense? That means everything I do when I'm driving, when I'm somewhere, if I'm looking at anything, I'm thinking to myself, this will affect my next move of God. It changes the way you operate in your life. When I'm talking to my wife. See, I want my family to want to be pastored by me. I'm the priest of my house. And I haven't always been that way. I haven't always been what I needed to be. God changed me. Nate and I had a talk two nights ago. We were talking uh, three nights ago. Actually, I was in San Francisco, I believe. I don't know where I was at. I was somewhere. I was in Orlando, I think. And we had this long talk because he was he was weary. He was tired. And I told him to get out of bed. I said, go lay in your living room. Here's my son, 20 years old, at a church as a youth pastor. And he's weary. And the problem is it's a very big machine. And the more corporate you get, it's a great church, by the way. But the more corporate you get, the less relationship you have. And that's part of one of the trade-offs that you have with the bigger the machine. And there's 20 pastors on staff. He was weary. And we were just talking. And all of a sudden, he said, Dad, he said, I just, man, ever since I became a youth pastor, it's like I can't find God. He got real honest. Have you ever felt that way? You're giving so much to everybody else. You're not keeping any for you. He's trying to build a school of ministry. He's the junior high pastor, all this stuff. So I said, okay, go lay on the floor. I said, take your cell phone. I do this for Quentin. I do this for any of these guys. I do it for Matt. I do it for, because I've done it for your brother many times. Where I say, go take the phone, lay on the floor, put it on speakerphone, and lay there, and let's go after God together. Nate's laying on the floor in his living room of his house there in Dallas. He's got the phone on. And I began to walk him through how to turn your living room into a pond. How to turn your living room into a place of refreshing. Because fact of the matter is, on Sunday, most of you don't get to get refreshed. 
Most of you are giving out. Most of you are watching. Why is that light bulb out? Why is this in the floor? Why is this happening? Most of you don't know how to relax at the church. You're the one in the front row watching for the murderer coming down the aisle. Amen? Travel with me. You'll need to be that. You need to be watching. Because it's happened to me twice now. Singapore and Buffalo, New York. What I'm trying to say to you is, you have to have the hiding place. And just because we're in ministry doesn't mean that somehow along the way we quit having that. In fact, I think in ministry, the, 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 you know, I've always said this, but if the devil can't make you uh, sin, he'll just make you busy. And ministry just becomes, you're out, you know, you, you, you lose that relationship with God. And the kid that's up there that's worshiping, that junior hire, that if, you know, it's like this until you walk up to him and then they see you coming and you're like this. I love junior hires. And junior hires, they'll create a move of God for you. Junior hire, I mean, seriously, you walk by them and they're like, well, this pastor. I love it. And, uh, but if they're, if they're more on fire than you are, something's wrong. Somewhere along the way, you forgot the altar call begins. But what's the fourth call for the altar call? A simple calling together if it's a house of, of refreshing. You do those four altar calls where you, you deal with the backslidden, you deal with the unsaved, the backslidden, the dry, and those that just want a refreshing. You've hit every area. You should do those four altar calls every Sunday at some way or the other. You don't have to do them the same. I've got more friends that will worship will be moving powerfully. They'll get up and give a, a three-minute talk on salvation, and they'll have salvations every Sunday. Al Bryce, a friend of mine in North Carolina, exploding church. He gives the, altar, the salvation altar call before he preaches because he is of the concept. And then he gets them saved, and immediately they take them to an upper room and get them filled with the Spirit. Immediately. He's trained a whole team to get them filled. That's why he runs thousands. And he's charismatic and a little more word of faith. What I'm trying to say to you is, and so let's, let's get into the preaching part, preaching the gospel and preparing the way, because I wanted to set this up for you to understand what it takes. I'm reminded of how Jesus woke up every day. He would go to the lonely places, and that lonely places, that term in the Greek, literally means fields waiting to be, or land, uh, unoccupied land waiting to be shepherded. Jesus prayed where churches should be planted. So when you get up and pray in the morning, go find a place where nobody else is at, an area that's not been shepherded in your life. Go pray in areas that need a shepherd in it. I need my anger shepherded. I need my fear shepherded. And as a leader, you have to do the same thing. Luke 4.24, Luke uh, says this. And let me tell you something. I, I remember hearing a professor in college share all of the times he made mistakes and pitfalls of, pitfalls of preaching. And I thought, boy, I'm just too cool for that. Gosh, I've gotten up and been a deer in headlights before. And it just not happened. I dealt with a failure spirit for years. Sean, I could preach to thousands and go to bed feeling like a failure. And that tried to settle over my son. That very spirit, I recognized it. And I confronted it with him. Two nights ago, three nights ago. And I said, we're not going to have this. I've already broke this off our family. How many of you know Spurgeon said, every, sooner or later, every man's got to face his daddy's demons. I said, Nate, what you're battling with tonight is what I dealt with for 10 years. And you're not going to. And you're not going to put your wife through what I put Karen through. Which after I preached, she had to tell me how great I was. She had to feed that demon. Had to feed that insecurity. Man, he's on the floor weeping and crying out to God. And we broke that thing. And he said to me yesterday, he said, Dad, you just don't understand. That changed me. That transformed me. But you better have somebody in your life that you can call and say, 
I hate life. You'll never be able to write a powerful sermon when you yourself aren't living in the power. You just won't. Oh, you can you can write a broken sermon. But all you're going to do is raise up people in your church that have crutches and not wings. That's why some churches are full of crutches. Because from the pulpit to the pew, it has transcended that spirit that you're supposed to be wounded. That's why you never use the pulpit as a place to be a bully pulpit or preach certain things. I don't get up and say whether or not I'm a donkey or I'm an elephant politically. I don't get up and talk that stuff. I get up and preach the Bible. Just preach truth. Don't add to it. Don't take away. Just preach it. And the Bible will, man, my goodness. Okay, let's get into this because there's so much more. The Bible says in Luke 4, 24, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. What did Jesus always do? He always disappeared. Get me a boat ready. Mark chapter 3. I've got to have a boat ready. Bible tells us. Bible tells us in Mark chapter 16, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. There's that tongue thing. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Listen, we don't have that kind of authority. I love, I love what uh, uh, Spurgeon said. He said, put a little fire in, in the sermon or, or put the sermon in the fire. Smith Wigglesworth would write seven sermons, preach them for seven years. At the end of that seven years, he would throw them away. He was so simplistic, he just said, okay, now that's done, he'd write seven more. That's what he would get away with preaching. Man, you couldn't do that today. You're on the internet too much. You're preaching too many places. I have to constantly rewrite and add new stuff. At the beginning of the summer, these guys were getting overwhelmed, weren't you? Because I just kept writing new stuff. Audience of one, remnant rising, ruined by him. All these new messages. I was preaching this move of God in Houston. So I was, the Lord told me while I was there, don't preach stuff you've already preached. So I had to write all this new stuff. Second Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. I have been confronted twice now when I've got up and made the statement that you are not born gay. Once was on the platform, a girl came walking up, and my staff stared at her. And um, in Arizona, this girl comes walking up. They all think it's part of my sermon. I want the microphone. I said, nope, you're not getting the microphone. How many of you know if you give away the microphone when you're preaching, you've just lost your job? That's what I was taught. Same thing when you're doing testimonies. Every now and then you just may have to punch them and then nobody will notice. But people don't put up with sound doctrine anymore because the noise of the culture is so loud. And we're going to be considered the clan very soon because of what we preach. The modern day clan. Why don't we just wear sheets? Because they think we're bigots because we preach that you're not born gay and homosexual marriage is not right and that you shouldn't kill babies. I get so sick when I turn on TV and I say the Reverend something, Reverend so-and-so. And and I'm going, Reverend? I don't put Reverend for my name because there was only one Reverend. It was Jesus. I'm always amazed that when I do, I just did two high school graduations and I was introduced as Reverend. It just, oh, it doesn't work with me because I'm not Reverend. I'm not Catholic. But what I want to say to you is, and, and what you've got to begin to realize is people are not going to put up with sound doctrine. So you better have your word and you better know your message. You better know your, I challenge you, you should be reading the one-year Bible as a leader. 
You should read it all the time. And this is separate from your sermon. You will not, uh, you should not do your devotions to get a sermon, but while doing devotions, you'll get sermons. So I have a pen and paper beside you at all times. Let me give you a few cues for preaching for change. You ready? And how many of you know the gifts and callings are irrevocable? That's why when most people morally fall, they go sell cars. Because they're still in sales. They do. Most of them will go sell water coolers or cars. Anybody that falls, what are they doing right now? They're either motivational teaching or selling cars. Or telling churches how to grow. They really are. They'll, they'll get on the circuit of telling churches how to grow. I know I messed up and I couldn't keep my pants zipped, but I'll tell you how to grow your church. It's the truth. Am I right? Paul and I and, and Pastor Kim, I called her pastor. I just called you Paul. Paul, I know. Uh, <laughs> it was Kim. <laughs> he didn't mean it. <laughs> We're doing a, a conference in September. And I've asked what I consider to be the purest people I know to speak at this thing for two days in Dallas. And we're inviting leaders from around America that are called to lead movements. Not just youth ministries, but movements. But the whole conference is called Legacy Conference. And the whole concept is it's not about building a big youth ministry because most of them have done it. Or have done a decent job at the level that they're called to lead. But the whole conference is about simply one thing. Will they remember you 10 years from now? And we're going to hit everything from preaching. I told you, it's what I said about Chris Hill. I meant to mention him a few minutes ago. Chris Hill said to me, Pat, we don't have any preachers in this generation. This generation doesn't know how to preach. They know how to put on a little earpiece, look cool, and sit on a stool and talk. If we need talkers, then I don't see that in the Bible. Talk to the whole world. No, it says preach. So I still believe in preaching. I still believe that when you start your sermon, declare what you are in the first five minutes, your altar call should be stated. They should know by the end of that message, when you bring it back around where your altar call was going, your altar call should be declared in the first five minutes and the last five minutes. What are you trying to get to? Then you fill it in with the meat. Remember, when you begin a message, I'm giving you points now. When you begin a message, have in your mind what your end result should be. In other words, when you begin a road trip, you need to know where you're going. Dream out your altar call. Karen and I were talking this morning because I saw what God wanted to do tonight. There's going to be intimacy restored. It's more than just rah-rah. There's intimacy. Then we must teach a generation for the dark hours of their house, the quiet times, the middle of the night times where they can hear from God. Dream out your altar call. See the people responding. This allows you to stay on point in your message. Don't chase rabbits in your message. That's why I'm not one of those people that gives four points and then fills it in. If I do that, we'll go four hours. I have to literally manuscript on my table over here. Every sermon I've ever wrote, even the one last night, my books, my manuals, all of Karen's messages, everything, all on one CD-ROM. People say to me, why in the world would you give away your secrets of the trade? I've had bunches that say that. Why would you give away all your illustrated messages? Every sermon you've ever wrote. All your teachings. This one right here is on there. Because if I died today, my daughter and son have dad's library. And it's not just a bunch of notebooks sitting in the back that are written out. They have everything I've ever preached right here. So that's why I put it together. That was the original purpose. But then I thought, man, what youth pastors need a message on a Wednesday when you just don't have anything? So take this. You know how many emails I get and Facebook from guys goes, dude, I pulled this message. Somebody Facebooked me last night and said, I preached it's on purpose tonight. Last night when I got in, I said, me too. How'd you do with it? 
See that right there? Dean, take that. See that right there? It, it's, it's that type of con- understanding. I don't mind it. I show up at more places and somebody goes, hey, listen, don't preach that. Don't preach that message on, on worship, okay? Why? Well, it'll be weird. They'll think you got it from me. My people love me. My people love me. Now watch. Stay on point. Dream out. It will, it will keep you from having a wandering pin. Have fun. Preaching is supposed to be fun. Sure, it's normal to be nervous, but but you don't have to say it. Let me tell you something. Your transparency, when you stand up to preach, will really determine what the businessman and the white-collar businessman in the back, how he receives you. If you go to that far extreme, I've been tired all week, church. I don't even know what God's going to do. I'm going to read the scripture, see what he's going to do. Come on. Redneck, listen to me. If that guy can be professional, we can be professional. How many churches have you ever gone to and they go, you could see them making it happen because the pastor's not prepared? When I was in college, I had a pastor that would do that. You could tell that brother hadn't studied. He's like, we're going to let the Holy Ghost move. We're just going to let it move. He just wants to move. I don't have anything. I, I had a little bit from the Lord, but listen. Have I got up and, and God changed everything? Absolutely. And you better learn how to get off the exit when he's speaking to you. You may get to point one and the Holy Spirit is dropping in the room. And don't force it. You can talk yourself out of a move of God. You may hit that point and you'll feel that's the moment. That's the electricity in the room. That's the Holy Spirit. He's, he's moving. You may share one point and go, okay, I'll finish this next week. Let's get to the altars. But don't talk yourself out of a move of God. I go to a lot of churches. The altar is the raised platform made of wood, stone, or steel in which something's brought forth to die upon. You must have an altering experience. And I do understand that you don't always have to bring everybody down. They can have move of God right there in the pews. Everybody loves to dog Rick Warren. He's the one that started the no altar calls. They don't understand. He was in 33 buildings, 33 locations, before they finally settled into their big campus. And he will tell you that all the movie theaters and all the places they met at, they didn't have altar areas. So they learned to have altar calls right where people are sitting, and it became a part of their culture. Don't dog them unless you know the story. He said we couldn't give altar calls. There was no room. We were in movie theaters. So there's nothing wrong with just saying right where you're at, have a move of God. Have you done that? There's nothing wrong with not bringing everybody down. But periodically, they still need to take that one step towards the front. And what the people in the back, they usually get one step. But that one step says everything. I just wrote a whole message called One Step Away. I shared it at our experience conference. And I preached with a foot. And then when you put a nail in it, blood began to pour out of it. It was really cool. Our team made it, man. We got like a prop department that's coming to another level. Anyway, and I didn't know if it was going to work. And I put the nail in, nothing happened. when I pulled it out, and I was like, he died for you. Have fun preaching. It's normal to be nervous, but you don't have to say it. You see, those sitting out there are not judging you. They don't need you to say, they don't need you to say you're nervous. I tell our young preachers in our school, don't say you're nervous. Don't give them a clue. They don't know. It makes the room awkward. Instead, just begin to flow. Also, never respond to your surroundings. That means crowd size should never determine motivation or passion. And there's nothing worse than if I worked for an old pastor. A large church in Indianapolis. He was in his 70s. Number one in America for missions. But he would get up on Sunday night and say, where's everybody at? Y'all need to get on the phones. 
And I'd be sitting on the platform because that's when you sat on the platform in the God chairs. And and it was crazy, man. Those lights were so bright because we were on TV. And I'd be sitting there like this, and I'd think, I'll let this eye sleep. This eye is going to sleep. I would really do that. I would say, this eye can sleep. And it was horrible. And I can remember saying stuff like, where's everybody at? And the whole crowd, and the, what about the people there? Well, let's commend them for being there. So, you, uh, so don't respond to your surroundings. And listen, just because you preach in a church that's quiet does not mean the church is dead. It just may mean they're soaking. They're taking it in. Minister from your spirit, man. If you truly studied and you developed your thought, God will honor your study. Write this down. Trust God's spirit. He'll lead you. So many times we get, we get up to speak and we try to make excuses for what God has told us to share. God doesn't need your help in apologizing. If you're preaching a heavy word, don't apologize for it. Here you go. When you begin your message, prepare your opening according to your audience. Last night, I open up funny, open up goofy. It's students. I want students, students get engaged through humor. And so when you open your message, if it's a familiar audience that knows your heart, you can almost dive right into it. But with me, I have to spend at least a couple of minutes getting to know the church. And I'm in a new place constantly. So I have to spend a couple minutes. I talk about my family, and I do that. People say, why do you show your wife's picture? Because I want to stay pure. I got all over you two weeks ago, right? Because we were in a city, and they couldn't get my wife's picture to come up. The city I was in was San Francisco, right? Modesto. Picture didn't come up. And I, I don't look i don't say where's the picture i never i don't believe in ever embarrassing sound people or media people that's their ministry i can't stand people that do that because that's their anointing and their anointing is just as powerful as yours but when we got done i called him i was on my way to san francisco and i said what happened there matt he said oh we couldn't get it to work and i said you don't understand that's my protection it protects me when my wife's picture's up there from the demons of hell that are out there why would you say, why, why that, Pat? Because I want everybody to know, he's owned. He's taken. Because you wouldn't believe the stuff that I have faced on the road. And so, there's, there's certain reasons why I do certain things that don't make any sense and nobody notices, but I do it for me. It's protection. Have those, what works for you? As a youth pastor, every week I talked about how beautiful my wife was. Well, why would you do that? The reason why. Because my guys in my youth ministry, many of them had no fathers and they knew, did not know how to treat their wives. You're still with me, right? In the situation when you're speaking to a group that you're new, give, uh, it's a new group for you, let the message grow. This sets others at ease. I continually fight the fire burning in me when I get up and have to remember some of the wood in the audience is still wet. Don't dive in. You don't kill them. You don't chop their heads off and then preach to, a, to you know, uh, somebody with no head. You, you take time. You move into the message. You begin to build on it. Earn their heart. There's time, there have been times where the Spirit of God is moving so awesomely that I can step up and hammer the message immediately. This happened a lot in Houston. We saw the outpouring. But most of the time, the people need to know the doctor. They are giving permission to operate on them. Listen to this. When writing your message, be mysterious. You're a master at this. Master at this. When you're writing your message, be mysterious. Don't get right to it. Nobody wants to watch a movie when the, when the best part of it was at the front. 
Be mysterious with your message. Meaning, lead them down to a path that is getting more and more narrow. People love anticipation. In fact, when writing your title, don't always give your conclusion. Establish. T.D. Jakes is the king of this. He will find one little line in the middle of the scripture that he's been reading for 10 minutes, and that becomes his title. Enjoy the treasure hunt of the title. Now, it's on purpose. Last night, I can refer to it because that's what you heard last night. It's on purpose. Kind of sets up where I'm going. But they don't know what it means. But it declares it. Sunday morning, an audience of one. It pretty much states this is where we're going. And that's where I want to do. I want them to know. An audience of one. Because I keep hammering it. I keep saying it over and over. Audience of one. Audience of one. Audience of one. I have heard preachers give their entire message in the first three minutes and all the anticipation leaves the room as the young leader goes full circle to where he began. Boring. When writing your message, look for moments to give the audience a breather. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. Learn how to ride the roller coaster. You could be in the middle of this crazy, intense moment and then be goofy or be funny. You know what it does? It lets the church go, okay. You need to learn how to watch for moments like that and learn how to play off stupid things that happen. I was in Modesto last Sunday morning, and, I mean, it's, there's hundreds of people, and it's in the back. I heard a baby shout out. I said, it's time for the preachers to rise up, and all of a sudden this little baby goes, ah! And I said, see? I never get mad at my surroundings because I don't want to make the room awkward for anybody else. If a baby's crying back there, I either preach through it or I do something funny or I bring my message down a little bit. I don't preach over that child. Don't, 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 I've seen, I've seen preachers stand back. That poor mom back there that might be a first time guest that was afraid to put her baby in the nursery because your nursery didn't know how to greet them correctly. Or she just doesn't want to dare put her baby somewhere. She just needs a moment. What I'm saying is learn how to have the same compassion that you want them to feel in the altar call throughout your whole message. Lead them down the path. People have anticipation. Establish the the thirst formula. The thirst formula is pushing people to get closer to the well as you keep pouring the salt in their mouths. I have heard preachers who don't know how to do that. When writing your message, look for moments to give an audience a breather. It can be a story, an illustration, a dramatic pause. Here's what I found works for me. As God's word is sinking in, I will at times bring the scripture to life with a personal life story. But don't give them too many stories. I, I remember I was preaching in Montana. There's an old DYD. His name was Keith Elder. He was there for 30 years. And he sat me down one day and he said, Pat, you told five stories a night and you could have won it with two. Yes, sir. You better be teachable when you when you do a sermon. Nate preached at our experience conference. Fantastic message. Hello, my name is John. And he we were walking, we went for a jog that night, that afternoon, it was two Saturdays ago, and he said, What can I do different? I said, Camp out more on your opening scripture. Take more time with it. You blew through it. I said, so, I said, that's my only thing I'd tell you to do. He said, Anything else? I'd say I said, no, because your altar call was powerful. You immediately got him up. So let's go. Did you notice what Rachel did last night? She's learned. Grab your moment. Grab your moment. I'm trying to teach these students. Grab your moment. Run with your moment. Get them down. God will move. At our church, we brought everybody to the front every Sunday because I believed in sitting around the family table for five minutes. And so it, what it did is I don't believe in isolation. I don't believe raise your hand if you need to get saved. Come on down, sir. Come on. That day's over. You isolate somebody, they get killed in the jungle. 
So instead, we bring, raise your hands, and I've always done this, everybody come down. Our church exploded off that because I had Catholic and Baptists that had never been to the altar call in the first time in their life. So now they weren't isolated. They came down. They were in the moment of the river, and God was moving on their life, and we grew off of that because we automatically said every Sunday we're all coming to the table. So if you chose not to, you were the isolated one back there. And our church grew off that. But at the day of the, the Jimmy Swagger Crusades or the Benny Hinn Crusades where they go, you, sir, with your hand raised, come on. You can't do that anymore. Not in this culture, not in this generation. Watch, here we go. We're going to go deep. Allow your hearers to experience the moment. Take time. Be a master storyteller. You know what we did? We we took children's book, and I make, uh, we have done this in the past, um, where we make, don't we, uh, Quentin, we make our students preach children's stories books. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do. Because if you preach a children's story book and learn how to write a children's story book, you'll learn how to be able to tell the stories from the Bible. So preach a children's story book. We do this with our students. And Curious George grabbed the man in the yellow hat's leg, and he was scared. Oh, my God. Yes, that's powerful. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. I love to use illustrations in the flow of the word. It allows the hearers to experience the in-the-moment understanding. Guard, though, too many distractions. I've done this. I've had so many crazy things going on stage, it looked like a circus. I myself got lost. Where was I? So be careful you don't have too much going on. Have your teacher illustrations to freeze for a moment. Tonight you'll see an illustration throughout the sermon, but they freeze for a moment. We're ready for that, right? Okay, good. An illustration should compliment, not hinder. Listen, I've watched more human videos from students that I have no idea what they're doing. I'm just like, God, what does that mean? Unless they're... Unless they're doing all the normal human video stuff. I don't understand it. And I just sit back there going, I'm just dumb. Let's move on. There's many preachers. I want to say something here. Now watch. There's so many times, there's, there's, there's many types of sermons. Expository, where the speaker walks through usually one text and brings it to life. Some people are very good at that. A lot of the older preachers do that. They just go, James chapter 1, let's go. I can't do that because... Most places I go have a time limit, and um, you've got 32 minutes at the most on the first, second, third service, and you can't do that. Um, and so a lot of people, others do manuscript. They tell a story. I actually have some of my sermons are manuscript. Speaker brings to life a message that has been written out in detail. Topical. The speaker flows in different sections. So there's expository, there's manuscript. Uh, topical, the speaker flows in different directions. That's what I did last night. Last night, it's on purpose, was a topical message. It was manuscripted out, but it was topical. Um, the speaker flows in different directions, but it's focused on bringing one main topic or series to life. Illustrated sermons. This is the dramatic interpretation of a message. And lastly, the dreaded outline sermon. Where they've been sitting at the restaurant before a service. There's only one person I've ever seen that can pull this off, and his name is Denny Duran. He can be sitting in a restaurant and get five points off of, uh, off of Pepper Shaker and walk out and, and blow it up. But very people, few people can do that. The men that I was trained under, Glenn Berto, they're manuscript. They write it all out. I just write everything out, word for word. I even put word to shout. Watch. 
Now, if I'm doing a leadership teaching, I can do an outline. I can flow from an outline. In fact, it's easier when I'm doing leadership teaching, but not, not when I'm preaching. I, I, I can't do it uh, unless I really have practiced that message. Billy Graham preached his message in front of a mirror 75 times each time. He had to preach. 75 times he would read his message out loud. I do it three times. Three times it's stuck in my memory. I'm ready to roll. When writing your message, prepare for areas to hover for a while. And look for fresh revelation to hit you while you're hovering. You may get to a scripture and go, my God, look what it says right here. And it just, my guys can always tell when I, when I step into that moment because it excites me. I go, look what it says right here. I haven't seen it till that moment. I'm teaching something I have not even noticed till that moment. You do that. And you're just like, and you can almost go on that. You can almost run on that. When writing your message, prepare for those areas. There are times where you need to give room to, to elaborate or follow the leading of spirit. Make sure you're very organized in your notes. Be able to see them clearly. Make each page easily acceptable, accessible. Listen, a lot of us, and, and I've learned how to take my notes in the... Um, I still use notes most of the time. I did last night. But all my sermons are in here. And if you'll save it in Word document in a PDF file and drop it into Dropbox... Then you can open it in iBooks. So you need to make a cover page, save it PDF in Word, and then it can be one of your books on your shelves in iBooks. And so literally, I, I can... Here, let me, let me just show you what I do. I'll show you right now what I do. Here's iBooks. Um, look, there's all my sermons right there. Because I save them as a PDF and put it in iBooks. So I can at any point, if I was the devil, boom, there's my notes. Bring it up, boom. And all of a sudden, there it is. And the thing about iBooks is the cool thing about it is it goes this way. And it reads your highlights. This is a sermon I wrote this summer for camps. Had already used it before a little bit, just barely. But I preached it at two camps this summer. Brand new message. So if I get up, I can flow. Now, you need to save it in a 14 font if you're going to see it. Because you need to be able to walk away and still see it. So it needs to be saved in a big font. So you copy it, save it in PDF file, drop it into Dropbox as a PDF, then in Dropbox, open up Dropbox, and at the top it'll say iBooks, tag it in iBooks, and now suddenly it goes to your shelf. Did everybody already know that? Something something simple to do. You, you already knew that. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm just silly rabbit. Tricks are for kids. Um, um, and so a pastor in Houston taught me how to do that because I had been using a Dropbox, but I didn't know how to do that right there. That was really cool to me. And so here we go. Back to this thing. I'm almost done. Um, make sure you're very organized. Every speaker has speaker mentors. Learn to listen to four or five different people all the time. And eventually you'll develop who you are. Man, I would. I listened to T.D. Jakes, Rod Parsley in the early years. I'd listen to these guys and I would just develop. And I began to take pieces from that person, that person, that person. Glenn Berto was a great preacher and paul owens for me when i was pastoring i would listen to their stuff i would listen to his stuff because when i was pastoring i wasn't used to writing a sermon every week and wednesday night then i learned to enjoy it then i learned to do series then i learned that i don't have to spend 15 minutes to go get to know the crowd i get to go right into it then i'd learned that somewhere in my message as a pastor my mission statement needs to be declared every sunday and the theme that we're working on for that time every sermon I would work in our mission statement, our theme, so everybody stayed on cue. Um, so have mentors. Find three or four leaders you can learn from. You'll, you'll take something for yourself from each leader. In time, those leaders may change, but willing to evolve as a speaker, each 
gets taught new levels. The problem is we've had a whole generation of sit-down talkers rise up, and nobody has anybody to listen to anymore. Because anybody can get up and just talk. And we all, I think everybody decided to choose Steve Jobs from Apple and copy Steve Jobs. Because he was so cool when he would come out on stage to introduce a new product from Apple with his, you know, his little headset on, and he's just talking, and we're like, God, that's awesome. And it is awesome for a leadership conference. And that doesn't mean you, sh- you use volume overkill. You scream all the time. But learn how to ride the roller coaster. Up, down, bring it to a moment, emphasize. You scream all the time. How many of you ever th- met those old preachers that they don't, I mean, seriously, they could swallow a snake and not realize it. There's like, and you're going. You get spit on. They call it the glory spout. I got a couple friends that are that way. Come on. That being said, listen to the Holy Spirit when you're, while you're talking. You can feel God at times interrupt your message. He may tell you to stop and give the call for change. Have your mentors. The call for change is a moment you must guard to never miss. You can preach your way out of move of God. When speaking, always do your best to be up. Never preach from a bad experience or hurt. You'll poison the crowd. Ride the roller coaster. In other words, don't speak um, flatline. Flow with the Spirit. There are moments in a message that create memories. Watch for the moment. When you trip over yourself, make it a fun moment. If you do something stupid, and I have done it. Karen asked the women's ministry one time when she was leading girlfriends. She said, how many of you want to wonder what the cuss word Pat says this week? Because I had like two weeks in a row where my tongue would get twisted in it. And I would just stand there and just look at him. I Give people permission to laugh at you when you do something stupid. Give them permission. It feels good for them. Give them permission. If you do something dumb. I have walked up on two different stages and fell flat on my face. Literally, not just preaching, fell down. One was, once was in El Paso. Do you remember that? I mean, the stairs, my God, why don't you just make it a ladder? Stage is like a thousand feet in the air, and I'm climbing up, and they're, they're inviting me up. I'm trying to look like Obama running up, you know. And looking all cool and get the top stair, miss it, because I had the extra long shoes on because I wanted to be cool. And my little toe gets hung, and I go, <laughs> Patty Ballon's way, and the pastor goes, everybody stand up and pray. Pray right now. She said, I was trying to help you. <laughs> Another time I, I fell flat on my face preaching, I slipped on a tarp, busted. My elbow's bleeding, and I'm still preaching. And the blood of God can cleanse you. Learn how to just ride it. Learn how to have fun when you screw up. Uh, and until you, if you don't laugh at yourself, they won't. Until they learn it's okay, then they laugh at stuff you don't want them to laugh at. Make it a fun moment. People want encouragement and reproof. Everybody knows they need change, but it's better for you for them to discover that. You don't have to tell them. Also, if you're married, have your spouse be your biggest fan. Karen has never told me I preached a bad sermon. She laughs at the same joke she's heard a thousand times. She is my biggest fan. Honest to God, I'm going to be transparent as I close this. I stood in places to preach where I just knew it wasn't happening. But if I looked at her, I knew I was going to be okay. For years, I dealt with the failure of spirit until I wrestled with the Lord one night. And then I conquered it. I mean, I could get done preaching. I'm like, I'm done. I just walked away. I'm done. 
you get to a certain age, you kind of know what you're good at and what you're not good at. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. And I'll never forget, two years ago, I was preaching at Brownsville. It was New Year's. They did a Branded by Fire, and it stunk. I had had a kidney stone. I didn't even know what those were. I never had anything like that. And it's the only thing I can figure out was, because I was like a knife all night in bed. Drove the next morning to Pensacola, four hours. And I guess I passed it. I listened for the ding sound, but never heard it. But I got up to preach that night, and by this point, I didn't go to the doctor. I'm in excruciating pain just from the damage that it caused. And I went to preach, and I let one of our interns kind of rewrite one of my signature messages and add stuff to it. It was horrible. Hundreds of students out there. I preached. They came to the altar. They gave me a courtesy drop. And I get back to my condo that night, and I walked out on the balcony by myself. The night before John Kilpatrick had stayed there, he had spoke. I walk out, standing on the balcony, looking at the ocean, and I said, okay, I have a choice. I know it was horrible. But God, I give it to you, and I went to bed. Six months later, summertime, it's time for Branded by Fire again. This is the big one. A couple thousand kids. Karen's getting ready, hotel room. I go in. I'm heading on to preach. She's going to join me in a little bit. And I walk in. I said, okay, I need to be real honest with you. I never said a word. But last January, I sucked. It was horrible. I need a home run tonight. She said, you never said a word. I said, no. The Lord told me not to say a word. Because used to, I'd go to her immediately and go, it was horrible. I'm not going to feed that demon. But it was still here. All of a sudden, Abby walks over to me and goes, oh, daddy, you're going to preach fire. Puts her hands on me and prayed for me. And we had church till 3 a.m. Why did I share that with you? Don't get stuck in the moment. Trust God. He'll give you another chance to preach again. You're, uh, when, when, you, when you get ready to close, build momentum for the monumental change. Don't, peep, de- don't beat people to death. A, a shepherd leads people to green, fresh pasture. Be real. People can see a phony coming from a mile. Be honest at all times. Never lie in the pulpit or the spirit will lay dormant in your life. If you lie. Listen, I dealt with this years ago in my life. I wrote it in a book with Dr. Bill Bright about having a lying spirit when I was a young man. If I lie while I'm preaching, even if it's a mistake, I will stop in the middle of that sermon and correct that. If I say a wrong number, a wrong story, a wrong moment, I will fix it. Love what Jim Rayleigh always says to me. Jim Rayleigh's a pastor in Ormond Beach. He said, Pat, you and I must always land on this side because we're evangelistic. This side of the truth. May have had a thousand. Let me just go ahead and say it. At that Brandon by Fire, I said 2,000 a moment ago. There's about 3,000. But I land on this side of the truth. This side. Always. Because I don't ever want to grieve the Holy Spirit while I'm preaching. Um. Ignore interruptions. Man, I got so much more. Don't preach for a reward. Don't preach for a check. God takes care of you. Listen, he's got you covered. Never be crude for shock value. These fools that get up and say things just to shock people, their anointing is about as the, 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 the backside of a shoe. Because if they got to do that to get the attention of the people and not let the Holy Spirit do it, then something's wrong with them. 
It's okay to be transparent, but also remember you're a leader. We must guard against ever giving the audience permission to do something we should have defeated in our lives. So don't. I know a preacher that gets up and tells every week about how his family's at war. They're giving the whole church permission for their family to be at war. We are supposed to be a level above. We're supposed to preach. You don't preach what you haven't conquered. If you do, that's called hypocrisy. When you're speaking, always honor the leadership of the house. Do as you're asked. They give you a time limit. End. And don't embarrass them. Can I have five more minutes? He's going to say yes, but he's going to hate your guts. And when you get done with your message, leave it all on the field. You did your best. When you get done, be ready for the crowd. Show humility. And by the way, if somebody comes up and says thank you, don't say, it was Jesus. Because you are a pompous, arrogant punk when you do that. I believe that. It's a form of pride. When somebody says thank you to me, or says that was a great message, I go, thank you. Because the attitude of gratitude is what opens the door to your next miracle. I don't go, it was Jesus. I get on, on stage with these bands all the time, these, these college bands and these well-known bands. And I go, man, that was awesome. It was all Jesus. I go, where is he? I want to see him. I'm like, just say, learn how to take a compliment. Because you and I both know you'll get a thousand compliments and one negative remark is one you remember. When you get done, be ready for the crowd. Show humility. Show graciousness. Before you try to touch the world, touch the carpet. Get on your face. Get on your face. I'll never forget, I was getting ready to preach one time. And the Lord said, you better make sure that you've prayed as much as that little lady in the crowd that spends her life praying. Or you have no right to speak to her. And remember, it has to be fun. Get them to the altar. That's so much more that I could give you, but. Get them, be simple in your invitation. Be bold. Realize it's not your place to judge. Don't, don't embarrass people. It's your place. And you know, there's nothing worse saying, brother, why aren't you coming down here? Well, maybe he can't walk. That would be awkward. Eternity tells the story. I love what Brian Hartbunky said to me. He said, Pat, the only real numbers that count are the ones that make it to heaven. Um, 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I must preach. I heard a story years ago. Uh, and boy, it shaped me. You know, you, sometimes you'll, you'll hear a message and it'll shape you and there's all kinds of stuff on this table back here. Next level youth ministry, commissioning the call. Just added the brand one, new, new one to that. For ministers only. Oh, if you haven't heard the Jonah factor, it'll mess you up. Jonah's the only person in the Bible that ends with a question mark. And God says, hey, Jonah, am I not concerned about the city? Because Jonah was so wrapped up in his moment. Marriage, half for ministries. Karen and I do this with Jeannie Mayo. Motions that destroys minister. We did that with, with Jeannie Mayo. That's all back there for you guys. You can check it out. Um, but I heard a story years ago that changed my life. It's a young preacher that went to a town, saw God rock a church. It just, man, outpouring. It went on for several weeks. Finally, he leaves. But the city decides to have a gathering. And they bring all the ministers and all the churches together. And they call this guy up and they go, hey, we want you to come preach it. It's for the whole city. Dude, he's just like jacked up. I have arrived. They're coming to see me preach. At this point, arrogance enters in. Shows up to preach. Place is packed. 
gets up to preach, preaches a dud sermon. Nothing happens. People are like, it just didn't work. He's so embarrassed that he didn't even give an altar. He just says, hey, just turn around in your chairs and pray. He turns around on the stage, gets on his hands and knees, puts his face in the seat and stays there until everyone leaves. He's just, he knows he, he blew it. He wasn't ready. He blew it. So finally he hears the lights. Lights are going out. And he goes to walk off stage. He gets up. It's safe. I can leave. He's walking off stage. There's an old janitor off to the side, sweeping. The old janitor looks at him. Sir, can I tell you something? The young preacher goes, okay, sure. Sir, if you'd have gone up the way you're coming down, you'd have come down the way you went up. Humility, transparency, honor, all those things. So how do I preach? Find your niche and run with it and have fun. It may work in your church to sit on a stool and talk. That may be the, what the culture that was created. There's nothing wrong with that. Just like I don't slam seeker-sensitive churches because I believe they have their place in the kingdom. A lot of them are just restoring people's hearts to like church again. But I want to be the end of the rainbow. I want to be the place where the glory falls. Are you with me? Amen. Let's shut our eyes. Father, we thank you. I want God to put a confidence in you on writing sermons and preaching right now. So if you're ready for a fresh desire, a fresh touch, a fresh hunger, a fresh freedom, a fresh passion. And by the way, let me say something I, I meant to say a minute ago. When you're preaching, don't embarrass your kids. You can tell stories, but make sure it's okay with them. Don't embarrass your kids. It's real easy to do that. You'll make them hate church. But if you say, Pastor, or you say, Pat, I just want, I want a new boldness and a new confidence and a new ability that when I sit down to write the word, it just jumps off the stage and, or the page and comes alive to me. If that's you, if you're ready to have that new authority when you preach, raise your hands across the room. Boy, I've been there. You want an authority to preach, raise your hands. Say, that's me. The pen of the writer, the Bible talks about, God ignites the pen of the writer. So hold your hand up and say, Lord, hold your right hand up and say, Lord, give me a new pen, a new ability to write. Now touch your mouth. Say, God, ignite my tongue to speak and share what you would have me to share. No more fear. No more doubt. Today, I walk in authority when it comes to preaching the gospel.